0: We started a study this last week on core strength um, topic. We had kind of evolved in from an old uh, study, an old study called the core, and kind of looking here as we are easing back into a sense of normalcy with the fall. And last last week we we spent some time talking about the validation of the Word of God. And if, in fact, the Bible then is true, not just because we have faith in it, but because even history has helped prove that, then who is Jesus Christ? And we had a powerful study here last Wednesday night. What a great touch of the Holy Ghost. And so we're going to move forward here tonight in lesson two on core strength, strengthening our core. If we are apostolic in doctrine, IBC has been doing a great online event about apostolic doctrine. Some of you have been a part of that. And um, if we're going to be about apostolic doctrine, then it's probably important that we know not just what that means, but how to also explain it. You know, sometimes we, I'm going to say something, and I think you'll, you'll understand and you'll agree with me. Sometimes we preach about what we do not teach about. Okay? We preach it, and everybody says, "woo," but we don't teach about it. And if we're not careful, we knew how to shout about it. We just didn't know how to study it. We knew, we knew how to be excited, and it should make us excited. But we should also be able to share it. If the only time that it excites me is when it's done in a voice or a cadence that I have to be able to clap or has to be exuberant, then it might be hard to translate to a coworker. <laughs> this is really exciting. Hold on, let me get my music out. <laughs> let me get something started. Oh, that's not moving you. Okay, let me get something else. Pull up one of those little organ apps. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. How many know the Word of God is powerful? It really is. So we're going to start tonight by evaluating sin and repentance. Okay, we've just come from prayer, but I want you to allow me to pray that the Word of God now would do its intended purpose. We've been praying for those that are sick, but I want us to pray right now for our hearts and our minds, okay, that we might receive from the Word of the Lord. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. This is not meant to be elementary tonight. This is meant to be informative. This is meant to be something that we can pack into our arsenal, directly derived from your Word, I pray that you'd help us mentally, emotionally, spiritually, oh God, to be strengthened. We ask it in Jesus' name and let everyone say amen. So we're going to look at sin. We're going to look at where it came from and what the answer to that sin is. And then we're going to work our way into baptism a little bit here tonight. So one of the definitions of sin is just missing the mark, not Doing what you're supposed to do. Let me get a witness in the room from anybody who has ever messed up. I'm just seeing where we're at on the lying scale tonight. I'm just, <laughs> some of you are like, Pastor, I'm too tired to raise my, heart, my hand. I'm a sinner. Okay, I'm a sinner. I messed up. We used to say sinner saved by grace. How many has ever said that? Yeah, just a sinner saved by grace. What, what is it? It's, it's that missing the mark. It's, it's being Opposite, or acting in a way opposite of what God desires for our life, okay? Um, In our Christian walk, striving to walk with God, to be like God, it is not good enough to be good enough. (laughs) Okay? I'm good enough. If your life style is based on, well, I'm better than them. (laughs) No, you're not because you're proud. (laughs) That's, That's what that is. Well, I'm better than they are. Okay, back to the book. That is the result of sin. It's not good enough to be good enough. We have to study the scripture and see what does it look like. Now, there are some Biblical definitions of sin, okay? So we're going to do something here. We're going to use our sections. You guys over there, I want you to go to Proverbs 14, 21. You guys over there, Proverbs 14, 21. You guys right here by the crabtree, this section right here, Proverbs 21 and 4. All you guys right here, James 4, 17. You guys right here, 1 John 3 and 4. 1 John 3, 4. Not St. John, 1 John. You guys over to my right, okay? 1 John 5, 17. Everybody over here to the right. 1 John 5, 17. Okay, I'm gonna say them again real quick. Proverbs 14, 21. Proverbs 21, 4. James 4, 17. 1 John 3, 4. 1 John 5, 17. Proverbs 14, 21, people, are you ready? Okay, okay. Brother Romine, lead them out and everybody joins, join in reading aloud. Proverbs 14, 21. He that, his he that despiseth his neighbor sinneth. Let's go right over here. You know, there's a... You can be in... important. You can be in sin against God based on how you treat them. Isn't that, that shocking? I mean, it's not shocking to us because we're seasoned unless we just slow ourselves down long enough to think about it. Wait a minute. It's sometimes the way he feels like I treat him is simply based on the way I treat them. There's a sin. Hatred is a sin. Treating people wrong is a sin. Well, I wouldn't call it hatred. Well, what would you call it? Proverbs 21 and 4. Brother Crabtree, real loud, lead them out and everyone read with him. Heart, and the of the is sin. Mm. Everybody knows there is a sin of pride. A proud look. And what else? Don't be haughty. Don't be haught. look at look at your neighbor and say, "Don't be haughty." My, my. Okay, here we are. James four seventeen. Are we ready? James four seventeen. Brother Turner, lead us lead us out. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. I knew the right thing to do, but I didn't have the time. Bible says that's sin. That's tough. You, you know what? Often this is a jagged pill to swallow. There's sin in that. I've got to be careful. I've got to be careful about being intentional. 1 John 3 and 4. 1 John 3 and 4. Brother Honeycutt, lead us out. I have to be intentional here, but my intentionality has to be to not transgress against the law. I've got to guard the law. I've got to guard what God's word says for me to do. Go to my right side over here. Are we over here? 1 John, 1 John and 5. 17, Brother Robeson, 1 John 5 and 17. It's like a big blanket, right? That's like, that's a really good description of Pentecostal preaching. All unrighteousness. (laughs) Just throw a blanket over this, okay? It's all sin. Anything that is unrighteousness to be carnally minded, yeah, all unrighteousness. So, all this to say, sin is real, and sin is everywhere. Okay, if you ever think to yourself, well, I don't know why I sin, it's because it's everywhere. Now, let's 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 talk about this. Where did sin come from? Let's 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 blame it on somebody else. Isaiah. Fourteen. This is, you know what? Let's all go here. Isaiah 14. And I want to read verses 12 through uh, 17. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I'll exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this The man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof, that opened not the house of his prisoners, That is one of the saddest and one of the most powerful portions of text that we rarely talk about. We talk about Lucifer being cast out, but rarely do we talk about the fact. We know it's that he exalts himself, but we rarely point out at the end of it all, the question against him is going to be people, even the regular folks are going to look at him and say, this is the guy. This is the guy we gave so much credit. But it all came It all came because he tried to exalt himself to be like God. How many know he will share his glory with no one? Even us at our very best, our righteousness is as filthiness before him. King James Version said it is as filthy rags before him. Lucifer was described as being a worshiper in heaven, but when he wanted to usurp God's authority, God kicked him out. It is possible to live in the very presence of God and still have sin. We must make sure that we do not confuse being in His presence with being in right standing. Isn't that something? I know, I know we just went from milk to steak right there. So just take a second, chew on that a minute. It's, it's one thing to be in his presence, but it's another thing to be in right standing with God. Lucifer with the angelic being in his presence, but usurping authority, coming into the likeness of God was what was hidden in there and it began to reveal itself. So where's the second fall? That's the first fall, which is the fall of Lucifer. the second fall, Takes place in the Garden of Eden. You're very familiar with this. Go in your Bible to Genesis chapter 2. You can look at verses 16 and 17. Somebody shouted out for me, what did God tell Adam about the trees in the garden? What did he say? Eat of all of them, except for. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, let me try, that. Let me try to give you a mental, uh, a mental illustration of this. If I, had a big, if I had a big jar of M&M's up here right now. How many of y'all like M&M's? Wow. That will be like a church attendance motivator right there. Like every hand in the room. People that weren't even paying attention looked up just now. Big glass bowl full of M&M's. Every, every color in there, imagine, every color in there. I mean a big old glass bowl of M&M's in it, and it was, uh, you know, they were just scooping them out. Somebody had a ladle so that you weren't touching with their hands because I know some of y'all are thinking already. There's one blue M&M in there and I'm telling you that's the only one you can't have. Some of you immediately are like, why, why can't I have the blue one? You've never wanted a blue M&M until just now. Can't have the blue one. I I really, but blue's my favorite color. Blue tastes different. They all taste the same, y'all. I always love the people who think that they taste different based on, we're not even going down that road. We're not going. I I feel an argumentative spirit right now. uh, (laughs) But what is it? There's something, there's something, a desire in the flesh that makes you think, I can't have it? That's the one I want. Isn't it the truth? It wasn't just an Adam and Eve problem, okay? Brother Buckland was here a few weeks ago, and, and, and he just flat out said it was Eve. Did y'all catch that? Sorry, ladies. He just flat out said it was her. I do think it, but I also think Adam was a coward. Adam's the one he told to speak up. And if you read the text close, it looks like Adam was sitting next to her when she ate. Read it real close. He just sat there. I'm gonna tell you right now. <laughs> silence will kill you. If you, I don't want to be confrontational. You'd rather not speak up. She's going. If you don't, if you don't get in her ear, the devil will. I don't have time, but you understand. We gotta. So, so that's where it's it, where. It, don't eat of that one. No, that one looks good. I got into it. Genesis 2 16 and 17. It points this thing out, and we need to talk about it. There's a lot more, there's a lot more privilege in God than there is prohibition. Uh, I'm a believer, so I, I can't do this and I can't do that. How many of teenagers will do that? Young kids? Ah. <laughs> you ever had a kid do that? You take them to lunch. Buy them something, but then because you don't want them to get dessert. Take them to Walmart, get their back-to-school supplies. But then because you won't get them the candy at the checkout. Right? It's always that little bit extra, that next thing. We've got to be thankful. We've got to be thankful for the privilege and the, I would call it, the abundance that God gives. The devil tempted Eve and to eat from that forbidden tree, and she ate it. She gave it to Adam. He ate, and we understand we've been dealing with a mess ever since. Our sin nature means that we are born with a tendency toward sin. I would say it this way, illustratively. It's like you're built, you're you're born leaning. You're born leaning towards sin. Who's afraid of heights? You ever see a picture posted where someone's got like right on the edge of somewhere, just sitting there like, I have talked, this week alone, I talked to a photo. I out loud said, Back up. I don't understand people that like to live on the edge. Get as close as they possibly can. But we're born with a proclivity towards sin. That's why we are constantly fighting against. And yes, I can all day long will say, if it wasn't for Adam and Eve. And you can be exactly right, but that does not get you out of your necessity to live beyond sin. I've heard people say, well, I don't fight. I don't fight to sin. I, I, don't, I, I don't struggle anymore. Well, Enoch, you're about to be gone. I told someone this very week, I said, as long as you wake up in flesh tomorrow, if you wake up in flesh tomorrow, you're still gonna have to be diligent about living intentional, okay? So what is repentance? It is that turning you need to be able to tell someone this when you're talking to them. Repent, Ladies, you know, repentance is not a bad word. And whether you've been in the church for five minutes or for 50 plus years, you've got to repent every day. If you go one day, one day, and don't say, oh God, search my heart, if there be anything in me, in my heart or my mind that does not please you, take it away and help me to walk. And if you're not doing that, You're missing the mark. Sin wants to cling to you. I've got to repent. So why should I repent? Let's look at the biblical commands. Matthew 4 and 17. We're going to go through these. I think they'll help put them on the the screen for us. Matthew 4 and 17. Jesus began to preach. He was preaching what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's a pretty good reason to repent. Somebody would say, well, if Jesus was preaching it then, what does that mean for today? Jesus was setting the standard, setting the stage, following behind John the Baptist, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Remember this, there cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, Jesus said, you've got to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 13 and 3. Jesus was teaching an incredible principle in Luke 13, 3. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. God help us. Come on, Pentecostals. Acts 2, 38. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized, some of you. Everybody. Everybody. This is the great, this is the great statement. Everyone has to do it. You know the old adage for some of us when we were younger, they talk about peer pressure a lot. I don't think it happens as much anymore. Some of us when we were younger, they'd say, they'll come up to you with a line and they'd put on some cheesy video in school. Come on, man, everyone's doing it. And I'd think, where did they get this video, you know? This was old when they produced it. But we should live in this mentality when it comes to the church. That every day I get up, regardless of whether you're a new convert or you are a seasoned veteran, please hear me, whether you are a shallow or a deep thinker, you've got to get up and say, wait a minute. God, forgive me. Cleanse my heart. Because here it is. Because I wake up in the flesh. On the lane. And I've got to read. I've got to balance my flesh. I've got to get myself back into alignment with God. 2 Peter 3 and 9. God is not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Everybody. All. Acts 17 and 30. God now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. All men... Everywhere. I'm not sure that means every. It means everybody. Everybody. No one you work with can explain their way out of the need to repent if they believe in Scripture. I've just given you a handful here that eliminates any reasoning if you have a high view of Scripture. If you don't believe in the Scripture, then it's hard to argue with that. You got to take them back to lesson one and two. We repent because we're born sinners. Repentance is the only way to have our sins forgiven because I have attended so many funerals where they want to talk about how good the person was. And I believe in all that. You're never going to hear me preach somebody into being lost ever, ever, ever. Just never going to do that. But at the same time, I find one way biblically one way biblically, you've got to repent of those sins. You've got to say, God, forgive me if there's anything in my life that doesn't please you. Isn't it a brother Losh? How could we ever act like that's a hard thing? But I will tell you, and you know this already, but let's read since we're teaching a little bit here, let's remind ourselves this is more than words. God, I'm sorry. You ever had someone apologize and you didn't feel like they meant it? Here's how it usually happens. Oh, I'm going to get some of you right now. I'm sorry for whatever I did. For whatever you did, you don't know. So what you're really saying is you're not sorry. You just want us to be good. You're not, how are you going to change an action if you don't even know what it was? <laughs> oh, man, I want to have fun with that right now. Husbands, wives, you ever play, whatever I did. Guys, <laughs> don't say that. Just don't say that. Whatever I did, I'm sorry. Oh, you don't know. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. Praise God. Well, how do I know what I did? How do I How do you just said, God, if I've done anything wrong? Here's how David prayed, search me. Search me. There it is, man. I feel it right there. I felt it right there. Woo! Search me, oh God. We need to get back to search me prayers. Search me, oh See if there be anything hidden in the innermost parts. See if there be a little part inside of me that makes me want to say words I shouldn't say and be deceiving when I should be honest. Search me, oh God, if there there be a little part of me that wants to watch things that I know I wouldn't watch if they were around. Search me, oh God, if there's a little part of me that's nice in public but a heathen in private. Search me, oh God. That's the kind of prayers he's talking about. Search me, God. The public side of me looks like I got it all together, but the private part of me, the private, the innermost me, the, that place inside that nobody, my evil twin, the shadow side of me. <laughs> so how do I repent? 1 John 1, 8 and 9 tells us what we should do and And what God will do if we repent. What's it say in 1 John 1, 8, and 9? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, then what? Verse 9... If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay. Now I believe you need someone in your life that you're accountable to. But I can't find text here that shows me you need to walk into a little wooden box and confess to a priest. I can't find that in this book. I can find confess your faults one to another. We need accountability. If you've got nobody in your life that can call you to the carpet, so to speak, you're in trouble. You need people in your life. But the most amazing thing that a lot of the church tried to cut out is I can go right to him. I can go directly to God and I can say God, forgive me and if I do, if We confess our sins. He is faithful and just. That's the amazing thing about it. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins. How many are thankful for that? Praise God. So repentance involves two actions. We have to confess and forsake. I'm gonna tell you right now, in this model, in this truth, Confession is easier than forsaking. Oh, pastor, I've heard this for 20 years. I I understand this. How hard is it to forsake? God, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, I did it. Give it 24 hours. I thought you told me sorry. Yeah, but Adam. And Eve. Am I the only one that's had to repent about the same thing I've repented about before? <laughs> so what's the difference here? How do we look at it? Let's talk about conviction versus condemnation. This is something I harp on. I do not like when people make people, make other people feel condemned. I am one of the only times you're ever gonna see me frustrated or, or find me really upset with a person is if I feel like they're making another person feel small. If we think that someone should have it all together by the time they come to church, we are playing God. There is a difference between condemnation and conviction. We've taught on this. We've talked about this. But condemnation is of the enemy. Condemnation will keep them away from church. Conviction will draw them in. Conviction will make you want to live righteous. Condemnation. Here's what condemnation is. Condemnation makes you think thoughts like this. I don't even know if it's worth fighting anymore. That's how you can identify it. I don't even know if I I don't even know if it matters anymore. That is the the spirit of condemnation, and it is from hell. It's from hell. To make you think that you can never live for God. You can never be righteous. You always fall back into this. You're you're never going to be able to give up smoking. You're you're never going to be able to give up lying. You're you're, you're never going to be able to give up cheating. You've tried over and over and over again. Just give it up. The fight is too hard anyway. That's condemnation. Conviction says it's a sin, but I believe in you. It's a sin. It's a sin. It's wrong. It's not right. It's wrong. But you can make it. Go ahead. Repent again. Go ahead. Drag yourself back up to the altar. There's only been one perfect lamb and it's never going to be you. It's never going to be us. No matter how good we get, you are not going to be perfect. And until you become perfect, you're going to need conviction. Condemnation is a cop-out. If we're not careful, condemnation becomes the cop-out that other people put on us. Is this all right if I teach this for a second? Condemnation is the cop-out that we let other people put on us. Well, I found out they were talking about me anyway, and I'm not going to a church like that. You cop-out. You are a, you're, that's spiritual and you're trying to put a name to it. You're trying to put a, flip. You, that ain't their problem. I'm going to say something right now. A, if you're the person that makes for someone feel condemned, you're going to have to deal with God about that. But B, if you're the person that would let offense keep you from God's house, you're gonna to have to deal with that. Amen? We need conviction. Now, listen, they're not condemning you. Here's the fine line. They're not condemning you because they texted you or called you and said, you were on my heart in prayer today. Why is everybody condemning me? <laughs> False. Right. That is not. I noticed you weren't here two weeks in a row. Man, get off my back. Come on, if you're wearing flesh tonight, you relate with this. You know what that is? That's somebody being used. That's somebody feeling a prompting in prayer. That's somebody that sent you a car. Now, how should I respond to that? I either let condemnation or conviction rule. And if I feel this little pinprick in my heart, this little something where, I'm, where I find myself like those outside in the day of Pentecost, there's this little something about me that says, man, what should we do? What should we do? i tell you what you would do. Repent. Every one of you. Repent. Repent. Say, God, I'm not perfect. You know I'm not perfect. I got to get better. Amen. So, where do we go from there? Repentance idea identifies us with Jesus' death. But we move forward into the evaluation of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. It bothers me if we go a full week and no one's baptized here. And we baptize people on off nights. It's not always on Wednesday or Sunday morning, Sunday night. But if we go all week and we haven't baptized anybody, it bothers me because I know, I know according to Scripture how critical it is that people come to repentance and they're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It is that next step. I don't just repent, but I've got to become new in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.17 If Any man be in Christ. He is a new creature. I love the expression of the word there. I'm still a creature. I'm still creation. But at least I'm new. I'm new. You were in him. You were developed in him the first time. But you are developed and you re, re, new. You're new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. According to the Bible, when we're baptized, Jesus... Dismisses, cancels, washes away, remits. It's for the remission. He erases our sins. I'm afraid that sometimes we've heard that so long that we have lost how powerful it is that he erases our sins at baptism. Now, we're going to talk about it here in a second, but that doesn't mean every time you sin, you need to get redunked, okay? Okay. Only time you need to get rebaptized is if you were not baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Consider the power of Acts 22. Look there, Acts 22, verses 12 through 16. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. I love that he had one of the most absolutely dramatic conversions of the New Testament, but he couldn't see until he got to a preacher. I love that. I feel like the Lord just gave us that. And the same hour I looked upon him and he said, the God of our fathers hath chosen thee that thou shouldest know his will and see that just one and should hear the voice of his mouth. Verse 15, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. And now, Why? thou. Look at verse 16. If this isn't underlined or marked in your Bible, this would be a good one to notate here. Arise, be baptized, wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. There's an entire theological argument against, uh, uh, against this right here, that being baptized and the washing away of sins is separated. Can I tell you, at some point, common sense has to factor in too. He says, go be baptized. And literally in the same scripture says, wash away sins. And there are theologians that have tried to dig down into the verbiage there and pull it apart and say, ah, they're not necessarily dependent upon each other. So you don't think he used wash away? (laughs) How many know people will argue anything? Some people just argue anything. You like our green people? I don't know, those are green. They're really a little more minty. You know those people, everything. Water baptism is critical. Arise, be baptized. Calling on the name of the Lord. It's critical. You're going to be baptized, you're going to wash away sins biblical salvation is related to the gospel you know this but you need to understand it death burial resurrection of Jesus Christ we learned we've been talking about the the the, the historical facts and the uh, we talked about the one in 110 octillion you know the the prophecy and the the way that it identifies and strengthens itself. We talked about Jesus' name. Now tonight we're working through repentance and we're to baptism in Jesus' name and the critical nature there. The death, the burial. We, we identify with him in his death through our repentance, but his burial through our baptism. If you're here tonight and you've never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ or if you're watching online, whether live or at a later date, and you have never been baptized by immersion all the way under the water in the name of Jesus Christ, it is not suggestive. It is imperative. It's a, it's a necessary part of salvation. Somebody say Amen. Acts 2.38 teaches us that repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, they work together for the remission of sins. Baptism is what identifies us with that burial. He was buried. We we bury our past. Thank God you got to bury your past. Right? Thank God. Some of you, I, I feel it. Man, I felt it through the room. Yeah, I was baptized when I was a kid. I did a lot of what I need to bury after. I got news for you. That's what repentance does. Repentance identifies with the power of the name that you were baptized in. And you walk back and you say, wait a minute. I remember that I went down in the name above every other name. And and it was, ooh, I feel something right now. When I was buried in his name, Not just did God take note of that, but eternity took note of that. The the what could have been went down. The what should have been went down though what might have been went down. And now when I, in my modern day, work into a place where I I come up against sin and I get engaged in something I do not, conviction (laughs) grabs my heart and I run back to an altar. And rarely do I have a deep altar of repentance to that I do not recall baptism. I'm gonna tell you, rarely do I have a deep altar of repentance that I do not recall the power of baptism. Baptism applies Jesus' name and identifies us as one of his own, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 27. Let's talk through some scriptural evidences for the name of the Lord being invoked during baptism. It's a little sheet. You can either keep it there, you can write it in your Bible, you can make some notes. Acts 2, 38 to 41. Peter preaching. 3,000 Jews end up being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Acts 8, 12, and 16. Here's old Philip. Labels them as all believers, baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 9, 18, 22, and 16. Ananias. Come on, Ananias. Let me ask you this. Peter's preaching. We got 3,000 being baptized. Ananias is preaching. We got one dude getting baptized. So is Peter more powerful? That's why we don't celebrate numbers, we celebrate souls. Otherwise we'd be saying, have Peter for the revival. He had 3,000. 3,000 people. Don't invite Ananias, he just baptized one dude. One dude. Yeah, one dude who's about to be the greatest missionary of all time. I'm going to tell you right now, he's going to baptize one dude that was a preacher killer. That's a pretty powerful conversion. Let's not judge people based on the numbers. Let's just, let's, here's how you mark people, whether or not they're, doing, they're preaching truth. They're teaching truth. What do you say, Ananias? I'm going to tell him he's got to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Okay, good. You pass. <laughs> 10.48, Peter, Cornelius and his household. I, yeah, I'm not gonna go there. Cornelius and his household, baptized in the name of the Lord. 19 and five, Paul, 12 disciples of John, name of the Lord Jesus. I'm gonna tell you right there, that was an extravagant moment. The disciples of John being baptized, that'd be a fun read for you, Acts 19. 18 and eight, Paul, many Corinthians in the name of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 baptism and the new birth go together Mark 16 and 16 he that believeth and is baptized you do much reaching you're going to find out that not everybody believes the need to be baptized you're going to need scriptural context to show them this is salvific this is critical he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved it goes on to say he that believeth not shall be damned amen Yeah, pretty clear. I know some translations have tried to make it a little bit nicer. But I'm going to give you the JBC version. You're going to be lost. That's what it's really saying. Baptize and be saved. Don't get baptized. You're going to be lost. I don't want to be lost. Don't want anybody to be lost. Praise God. We need baptism. This is our core strength. Ladies and gentlemen, this is our core strength. This is a core doctrine. What we believe. Let's talk about baptism by immersion before we're done here tonight. We're almost done. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. In English, it's just baptized. It means to immerse, to dunk, to dip, to get under the water. We are never going to sacrifice. Doctrine to try and draw a crowd. How many believe that? How many feel that way? But can I say something just as effective and maybe even more? You don't have to. I've lost track of the people that try to sacrifice doctrine who their church goes the other way. It's not a matter of that. you got to have doctrine to have a real church anyway. And that's not something for us to stand up and be haughty lest we we got doctrine. (laughs) That don't work either. Having doctrine ought to make you as sure-footed as you've ever been. But having doctrine will give you the stability to actually reach and pull. Amen? Make you sure-footed. Baptizo, it means all the way under. Everyone in the New Testament was immersed in water when they were baptized. According to Matthew 3, when Jesus was baptized, even Christ, he said, I've got to do it for righteousness. I've got to do it that it might be fulfilled. I've I've got to do it. John didn't want to baptize him. And you wouldn't have wanted to either. But she goes, I wouldn't. There's no way. If he came to me and said, I need you to baptize me. What? I'd have said, go to Brother Marshall. You can't blame John for not wanting to baptize him. He felt felt humiliated in the presence of Christ. But he baptized him and he he put him all the way under the water because that was the example. Somebody said, well why? He, He had no sin. He was without sin but he still understood, please catch this, he still understood the necessity of precedent. You got to be so careful with the decisions you make because precedent. Precedent matters so much. According to Acts 8, 38 and 39, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch went down, went down in two. All the way in the water. I'll, I'll, I'll finish with this. Is that little history lesson piece on the end of your paper? I don't know if it's on there or not. According to World Book Encyclopedia, At first, all baptism was by complete immersion. That's volume one, page 651. The Catholic Encyclopedia. In the early centuries, all were baptized by immersion in streams, pools, baptistries. Volume two, page 263. Immersion was not convenient after the Catholic Church instituted infant baptism. Please note that in the book. It's in their encyclopedia. It was not convenient after the Catholic Church instituted infant baptism. Thus the mode was changed to sprinkling. See Encyclopedia Britannica, 11th edition, volume three, pages 365 and 366, to which I would say, see Acts two, see Mark 16, see Acts eight, I don't need you to make me convenient. I need you to get me from here to heaven. That's what we need. Stand with me. Praise God. Preacher, make me feel better. Okay, I give you the tools for the job. Isn't it sad to think that it was changed for convenience sake? Can I ask a question? And I don't mean it. I, I do not mean this as offensive. I think you know me well. Enough. I don't mean this offensive. But since when has being lost been convenient? You ever think about that? Since when has not being biblically accurate been convenient? So that's, that's just your opinion. It's, it's just as clear as I can see it in the text. And that's our job, to do the best we can to live to this text. God, help us to live repentant. Help us to not just have been baptized, but to honor baptism. Would you pray that right now? Would you pray that God would lead you to somebody this week that you might even get the chance to talk to about repentance and baptism? That you might be able to take some of these fresh scriptures that have been stirred up in your spirit, and you might get to talk to them and say, wait, I want to... I feel prompted to talk to you. I don't don't want there to be any condemnation, but I think what you're feeling is conviction. That conviction is calling you to repentance. Oh, you don't know what repentance is? Let me tell you. Come on, pray. God, help me. to Lead me to that person that I can talk to about repentance. Let me live repentant, and then when I'm in the turn, I think you'll lead me to people. Mm. Praise God. Praise God. Somebody say Amen. And that's what I think, Brother Fridley, that's, that's what I think as I'm closing here. Here's what I think it does. I think living for God turns us toward people. Because that's what repentance is. And I have found this. I have found this over and over, proven it time and time again. When I turn away from sin, which is what repentance is, turning from sin has a tendency to turn me toward people. Amen? When I'm in the avenue of sin, it is, it is I, me, me, I, 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 me, flesh, me, I. Repent. I cannot repent of sin without turning toward the mission of God. And I cannot be about the mission of God without turning toward people who need to hear what I've heard. And experience what I've experienced. That's the way it plays out. Repentance and baptism. Man, I love y'all. God bless you. Thank you for being at Wednesday night Bible study for Core Strength Lesson 2.